Welcome to Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kind of for being here with us this morning. Hey, guys, uh, it's Monday. Good morning, Houston. Good morning, Harris County. Good morning, Texas. Good morning, the United States of America. And, of course, good morning to the rest of the world. We are going to have a great show. We are going to have a great day because you are going to make it a great day. In the studio with us today, the one and only geniuses in at KPFT, we have Howard Reynolds and El Senor Jacques Van Bever. How are my peeps doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. A little overwhelmed right now, but uh, I think I think we're going out. I think being overwhelmed hey, every uh, so... I'm talking to two people. I'm talking to Howard and Egberto at the same time right now. Howard, uh, I'll call you back. <laughs> this is hey, this is what we call real radio. Go ahead, Jack. Are you okay? Great. Anyway, okay. I, I'm here. I got the word. <laughs> I want to hear the word. Okay, I read your piece this morning, and it made me think of this. Let me hear it. As as the corporate influence takes over the minds and hearts of the politicians and the people start to suffer as a government is run like a business, they're cutting out all the things below the bottom line, starting with the young and education, the poor and the old. The oligarchs and the plutocrats just don't need or care for the people anymore. They only the people only exist to feed on the people to be fed on like vampires in the night. Well, I didn't do that one very good, but well, actually, actually, you know, you brought up that thing again, that vampire thing that we've been speaking about over and over again, because I think we need we, we were saying things like we were using the wrong descriptions for quite a while. And I think we went from vultures to vampires, which I think was the right thing to do. Anyhow, that was that was great. My marvelous brother inside the control room. Folks, we are going to have a great program for you today. Um, I have some videos that I want to show you as well. Maybe we'll get them. Maybe we won't. We'll see. But it's very important for us to uh, get the show. There's also uh, based on the thing that Jack just said that he read we had some issues uh, that uh, with the new budget, you know, I heard a, a, a good politician said once, show me your budget and I will show you your values. Show me your budget and I'll show you your values. You show me what you're willing to spend your or hard earned income on and I'll explain to you exactly what you stand for. Anyhow, folks, the title of the show today is Sarah Nelson on Union Power, Pete Buttigieg on the government shutdown, and horrifying GOP budget. We may get to some or all. We may not because this show, remember, is your show. So if you call in and change the subject, that's what we do. 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Association of Flight Attendant President Sarah Nelson came out swinging for the American worker. Pete Buttigieg blames GOP for any government shutdown and the Republican budget 
is horrifying. Folks, please remember, there are many ways to listen to us. First of all, if you're in the dial, that is at uh, 90.1 FM, 90.1 FM. Alternatively, you can reach us by going to our website at kpft.org, kpft.org, and just click on the listen button, and you can listen to us there. In order to shorten our fun drives, the next fun drive is coming up in October, uh, it's you can start giving now, and if you start to give now, uh, that can shorten how long we have to ask for. But just hit in the donate if you have the wherewithal to do that. You can download the TuneIn application uh, from your Android or Apple Store, or rather your Play or Apple Store, and uh, that way listen to us on the TuneIn application by searching for KPFT. You can go to Facebook.com/KPFTHouston. And watch us live today. I'm again in my Trek Volkswagen t-shirt because I'm going to spin right after the show. Uh, you can also watch us live at politicsandright.tv, politicsandright.tv, and our podcast at politicsandright.com slash podcast, where you can get all the snippets, clips, and everything else that we talk about on the show. Welcome aboard. Alistair Waters is in the house on the chat screen, ready to talk and give her great opinion as usual. And before we even start the show this morning, our mayor is in, you know what I mean, don't mean the mayor of Houston, but the mayor of politics and right, by the name of the one and only Johnny. So Johnny, please feel free to enter the dragon. Don, Johnny. Johnny, your hat. Okay. Uh, Johnny, if you can't hear us right now, we'll take care of fixing that. And as soon as we get that fixed, we will go ahead and come back to you, my dear brother, Johnny. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get started with our first, uh, with our first video. That first video is about, uh, the association of, uh, the association of flight attendants, Sarah, Sarah uh, Nelson. What I want to do, first of all, is to tell you a little bit about how I feel about this woman's uh, way of talking about unionization and what she brings to the unions. Uh, it, it is hard not to love listening to the way she talks about the employee, the American worker, because for a long time, we have always had unions that are, you know, yes, run by guys. And there's nothing wrong with unions being run by guys, etc. But somebody who can feel it, who you can sense as they're speaking, they're feeling the issue. And that is what I love with Sarah Nelson. So when I saw the clip with her, and I've clipped her before, when I saw the clip with her and... uh her and Ali Velshi, I said, I got to process that one because this is how I want every union president to speak. This is how I want every unionized person to speak, which means how I want every employee to speak. Because I personally believe that every single worker in America should be a part of a union because I tell you what. The corporations all have unions. They don't call them unions. They don't like unions, but they have unions. 
They call them associations of this, the trade organization, and all these different things where several companies come together to lobby government for something or to lobby countries for something. They have their unions where they work together because they understand that different companies working together is stronger than one company trying to get some result out of government or otherwise. But they don't want you, the worker, to do that. That's hogwash. In fact, they spent decades trying to convince the average American worker that unions were bad. But we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, let's go ahead. This is a, this is an eight-minute segment. So uh, until we get things worked out uh, with, with the phones, I'll go. I'll do this eight-minute segment, and then we'll go to Johnny. So let's go ahead and play that, and then we'll take it on the other side. Uh, let's set that up. All right. Ali Belchi interviewed Sarah Nelson, the Association of Flight Attendants. It's a union for flight attendants. And I tell you, there are a lot of union people that are speaking out now. The unions are on the rise again. Most Americans are supporting the unions again after there has been a concerted effort by right wing organizations, by plutocrats, by think tanks uh, uh, put out like the Heritage Foundation and Cade Institute, etc. Finally. Americans are starting to wake up. And what does that mean? It actually means that they realize the reason for unions. They're starting not to believe the crap that comes out of the executives uh, in, in these corporations who always get these big time uh, raises. Whether the company is doing good or the company is doing badly, they get raises. When they are fired, they get golden parachutes with millions of dollars to leave. When the employee is poor, they just throw them to the to the curb. When the company is not making as much as it should, they throw them to the curb. When the company is failing because of the executives, they throw them to the curb. When the companies are doing very well because of the efficiencies, all the monies from the efficiencies go to having workers work harder as the executives take the profits from their efficiency, people are starting to wake up. And, you know, one of the things that one has to be able to do is articulate in a manner that 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 bread and butter person, that person that is not necessarily a scholar or whatever, understands exactly what's going on. That is the reason I really like to hear Ali Velshi talks about the union subject as well as the Association of Flight Attendants President Sarah Nelson. She is very, very good at tying the knots together and putting it all in one piece. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Joining us now is the union leader, Sarah Nelson. She's the president of the Association of Flight Attendants. Uh, Sarah, you and I were just talking about this the other day, whether the White House is prepared to uh, put a thumb on the scale on this one and how involved they'll get. Uh, there was talk that the, the, the Labor Secretary and uh, Gene Sperling were going to go to the negotiations this week. That didn't happen. And then this. Am I making a big thing out of this or is this a very big deal that the president is going to join the striking workers? Well, this shouldn't be a big deal, but it is a big deal um, because this is unprecedented. And it is happening because this president at his core uh, is a labor guy. He believes in labor. He believes in labor rights. But it's also really happening. The real reason this is happening is because of the workers who are taking a stand all across the country. And this strike is historic with UAW taking on the big three automakers all at once. Never happened in history either. We're talking about a lot of firsts in history. 
But I've said for a long time, start in the workplace and the politics will follow. And that's what we're seeing here. Something has happened. There's a change in tone with a lot of these labor leaders where they're coming in and saying, these are the requests we have. You might think they're outsized because they're 10 times what you ever offer us, but they're not as much as what you bosses are making. They're not as much as what the shareholders are making. And by the way, this is the moment to strike. So don't tell me to live to fight another day. This is actually when we're striking. I want to be really clear that it's the companies that are choosing the strikes, not the other way around. And you'd see that very clearly that workers are making their demands up front. We're very clear about what our demands are. It has gone in the wrong direction for too long, essentially since Ronald Reagan fired the air traffic controllers in 1981. And it was open season on unions um, and, and a destruction of the strike. The strike is about coming to a deal. It is not about the strike. No worker wants to go on strike. Um, but we want to go on strike when the company is not being fair when they are not negotiating with us fairly. And that has been going on for too long. And so what we've said right up front with our demands is what we're willing to do. That's why UPS settled. It was a credible strike threat. It was serious from the Teamsters. That's what we're going to continue to see. And the big three apparently didn't get the message. Tim Scott, who's running for president, uh, senator from South Carolina, because just mentioned Ronald Reagan and the air traffic controller strike. This is what he said at campaign stop in Iowa. Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to strike. He said, you strike, you're fired. Simple concept to me, to the extent that we could use that once again, absolutely. You don't actually have to be a labor leader to understand the basic law in this country. You can't actually do what Tim Scott just said. You can't tell people if you strike, you're fired. He's interfering with workers' rights here, and that's why the UAW filed a ULP, an unfair labor practice against him. He doesn't have the right to do that. And he's also confusing the fact that Ronald Reagan fired the federal workers, which conceivably he was their boss. Um, the uh, president and the government is not the boss of the UAW workers. He's got the whole thing confused here. And especially he's completely out of touch with the country. He is completely out of touch with where we are right now, where workers are saying we have had enough. We're going to come together no matter what, take our fair share, because this economy, as Sean Fain has been saying, has been working for the billionaires. It hasn't been working for the working class. We're going to wreck their economy and we're going to build up our own. After the air traffic controller strike, it was open season on unions. But take a look at some recent polling from Reuters and Ipsos uh, for the support for the strikers amongst all Americans. For the auto workers, 58 uh, percent support, 32 percent uh, oppose. For the Hollywood strike, 60 percent support, 27 percent oppose. Now, that's all Americans. Let's look at this even amongst Republicans. For the auto workers, more support than oppose, 48 percent support, 47 percent oppose. And for the holiday Hollywood strikes, it's a it's a dead heat. So the bottom line is public support is on the side of the unions, even in matters where it will affect the public, whether it's the TV you watch or the parcels you don't get delivered or the cars you're not going to buy or that are going to cost you more. Or in the case of uh, flight attendants who strike the, the flights you won't fly on. But what's happened? Why is the public? Why is public sentiment changed so far in favor of workers? Because the public understands that going along with the rule book that has been in place for the last 40, 50 years doesn't work. The idea that the corporate elite has said to us, you should feel lucky to have a job. The, the entire country is saying, no, you should feel lucky to have our work. We don't live to go to work. We go to work to live. And so um, this is what we're doing. We're taking a stand across the country and people are identifying with what the auto workers are doing, with what the writers and the actors are doing, with what grocery workers did before them, teachers. This has been across every single industry because it has been about taking all of the productivity of our work, making us work harder for less. And everyone understands that. 
So the demands are the same. These tier demands to get rid of the tiers at the auto workers, you can see that in every single industry where a certain set of workers are treated different than differently mm-hmm. than others. We the jig is up. Like we know, we know the playbook now. And the playbook of us sitting back and saying that we can only think about ourselves and stay in within our own cocoon and we're gonna be okay. And we can pick up ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better. That 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 ship has sailed. Okay, that narrative is gone. That is destroyed in America. And America understands that the people who are standing up for the regular Main Street person in America is the unions. When we were strong and there was shared prosperity in this country, unions were strong. And as unions have been on decline, so has the standard of living for the average American. It's time to fight back. And that's why you see the support of the strikers, because they understand this strike is about all of us. Sarah Nelson nails it. And if we could get every union worker to speak like this, if we could get every union worker to encourage other people like this, we'd be in great shape. Sarah Nelson, Ali Velshi, kudos, keep up the work, unions first. Absolutely so. And I tell you something, folks, before I, I'm coming to you, Johnny, I, I, I tell you something that is very important. That's why I like watching Ali Velshi, no matter what program he's on, no matter who he's covering for, even within his own program, because there's you have to give time for a message to develop. Right. You have a whole lot of mainstream media folks that uh, I look, they have to work within parameters. Look, uh, Ali can't say the things that I know he wants to say quite often, but he works within those parameters and he makes the best use of the parameters within which he has to work. And he does that in the way that he allowed uh, uh, Sarah Nelson to speak. Anyway, let's go to Brother Johnny. And folks, remember, you guys can call in at 713-526-5738. All lines are open except for Johnny's line right now, 713-526-5738. I want to hear from you. I'd like you to call early because we don't want, I want to spend the time that you need me to spend with you. Alistair Waters says, I'm glad President Biden is standing shoulder to shoulder with the union workers. Now, as many felt he dropped the ball uh, during the railroad workers to stop striking, we'll wise up as the people rise. Not everyone can afford boots. That is from Alistair. Come on in, Johnny. Talk to me. First of all, I could hear you earlier, and I heard Magic Jack also. No problem. Great. I would add. Sarah Nelson said by by saying that if Joe Biden really wants to show that he's serious about this, when he goes physically to stand by for reporters to see with him standing literally with uh, the striking automobile workers, that he should also mention how Ronald Reagan in 1981 not only took a, a, a opening salvo shot at unions, but he also destroyed the pension system. And he privatized it with 401ks and IRAs. He needs to mention that. If he does that, I will take a serious uh, consideration of maybe voting. I know. (laughs) Go ahead. But that's not why I called. I'm called because this morning, as you know, I usually run NPR overnight. I fall asleep to NPR. (laughs) When I woke up, I heard this part of a conversation they were having where the local affiliate, KUHF, was advising their listeners that come the spring, they should resod their yard if the yard runners are brown instead of green. And I'm thinking, what kind of advice is that? We've got climatic disruptions all over the place. All of a sudden, come the spring of next year, that's going to stop? 
There's no political will to do what we need to do. And they're talking about people wasting their time and money resorting their yard. How about you advise home? They mentioned homeowners. Why don't you remind the homeowners that their foundations can crack and that they will have major expense if they don't buy a $5 length of a soaker hose and run some trickle water around your foundation? Never mind your grass. You're going to lose your house. And how about investing in a misting system for your roof if you can't afford to uh, coat it white or put solar panels on? How about these cost-saving measures instead of telling people to waste their time resodding their yard? Or if they're going to do that, at least put up trellises where you provide artificial shade. And by the way, how do you know you have enough water? How how do you know you're going to have enough water to water your grass? Johnny, let me tell you, I can give, I can tell you from experience with regards to the, uh, to the sodding and and watering the, uh, (laughs) watering the, the slab, because a lot of folks here in this area, because of the clay soil we have here in Kingwood, our foundations, in fact, have started to crack. I can tell you that from experience, the foundations have started to crack. So I know exactly what you're talking about, brother. You know what else is cracking? This is serious. The road outside. Yes. In our yes. We have yes. a, a one mile, 1.1 mile circular in our, in our neighborhood. The road has cracked on both our road and the road that runs parallel to our road. Big, gigantic cracks like yes. Grand Canyons for the fire ants. They love that. So when I spray my insecticide, now I have to waste more insecticide to get to them because that's where they go and hide. And unfortunately, that is even bad for the environment. So. Sadly, what can I say? But anyway, Johnny, as usual, the mayor of politics and right. Thank you for calling in, my brother. Let's go ahead and go to Brother Harry. And I want to tell other folks to um, give us a call. 713-526-5738. I have a lot of subjects to cover, but you come first. 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Me pueden llamar. Si necesitan hablar en español, también lo podemos hacer. 713-526-5738. All right, Harry, come on in, my brother. Good morning, Iberto. Uh, buenos dias, Senor Iberto. Buenos dias, uh, Senor. Johnny nailed, Johnny nailed it, as usual, with his, uh, 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 his, um, his comments um, with unions and his uh, uh, informative, uh, enlightening comments with housing, as usual. Uh, I'm glad you're talking about this. As I was talking about this with my brother with unions. Um, I enjoyed that video with Sarah Nelson and Ali Velci. Those United Auto Workers have to keep fighting. It looks like Ford is making some progress with them. So they got to do that with Solantis and you, uh, and the, um, and General Motors so that these workers can get their fair share, as, uh, Sarah Nelson pointed out. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, two Sabbaths ago when I was at my church in Fondren, after our worship service was over, we were having lunch. There were these two young black girls and this black woman, and we were talking about, uh, uh, they were talking about the medical field. One of them wants to go and be an RN, the other is talking about going into pharmacy. And I started to mention, well, you get into those fields, you want to be part of a union because you don't want management to take advantage uh, of you. I was talking, uh, uh, I was, when I used to be in California and I used to work in the Bay Area at UCSF Medical Center, the nurses went on strike there and they got everything they wanted. Now this black woman who's an RN 
was telling me, you're talking about politics. You know, don't scare these young girls who want to get a uh, decent job in the medical field. You can't do that in this state in Texas. And I just said to her, that is what's wrong with this state. And what went through my head, I was thinking about what you said uh, constantly about, you know, you have, don't be afraid. You have to form unions. You have to fight. You cannot let management uh, take advantage of you and scare you away from and, uh, unions. Because she's ever talking about it. These girls go to make a decent living in the medical field. If you go to talking about politics and union, they might just, they may not have a job someday. And I right. just told her, look, you're scaring these girls. You know, you don't want these girls to be taken advantage of when they get in the medical field. They have to stand strong and have a union and, and, uh, and so they can get their fair share. They're not taken advantage of and not made a slave like you're always talking about when you talk about this subject. Harry, let me say something. This is so important that I want to tell you. First of all, you did the right thing by saying uh, don't be scared of management or whatever, because that is what the system does to you. In other words, it tries yeah. to tell you be. And if you notice, Sarah Nelson said it as well. You be, be honored, be thankful that we had the that we decided to bring you on board. Be thankful. I'm yeah. sorry. Both both people have station. Both people have agency. Both people, both sides have uh, their stakeholders in this entire thing. The worker cannot do with right. the, without the employer. The employer cannot exist without the worker. Otherwise, you're so, just right. a sole proprietor. So let, I, I, and and if if you can't if you can't do right by your employee, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. Right. So um. That is very right. good. And, and let me tell you, Harry, and, and that is what I want people to do irrespective of where they are. I want them engaging others. When, when I, I want them building other people up. And what you did there, uh, with, and it, it happens to whomever you talk to people, brothers and sisters that are listening here. I love that uh, after the woman says, uh, if, if she gets political or whatever, she may have no job. That is a fear that many want to put into the into people. Both of them, but yeah. Harry, he was scared of both of those people. Right, Harry. By you going out there and saying, uh, ma'am, uh, no, this is what we need to do. That is very good. Anyway, Harry, I got to go to Adrian. So thank you so kindly for calling. All you right. Have we'll a talk great, to you later. Uh, you have right, a brother. Blessed. Thank you, brother. Adrian, right. come on in, my dear brother. Come on in, Adrian. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm traveling uh, from Dallas to uh, Houston. Uh, I've got a couple of business uh, things that I got to handle today until Wednesday. And uh -huh. I actually came across your radio and I uh, wanted to tell you, uh, it's really awesome to, to hear you guys talk about positive things like you guys do. Um, that's amazing. Um, so good work. Uh, but the second thing uh, is, uh, you know, I have a foundation repair company and in, for your listeners, y'all get, y'all get, if you want, right. Y'all get a free, Texas license engineer report, hey, you know, if we can deal with any of your listeners. Let me tell you something, brother. I can't, with this is a public radio station, can't do that, but I'm glad to hear that there I are good licensed uh, guys out there. You know, um, you can always, yeah. uh, uh, you know, call, call, call me offline, call anybody offline. We just can't do this in here because of federal regulations, all that good stuff. So, yeah, uh, you got it. I had no idea. You know, I had no idea. 
Oh, no problem. No problem. Look, but thank you very much for uh, calling in and listening to the show. And I want to thank you for the kudos. Now that you're driving in on, on, the, on the, the highway, remember to tell people there's this little radio station in Houston, Texas that you found and you love. Thank you, my brother. <laughs> you got it. Yes, you sir. Bye-bye. You have a great day, sir. All right. Let's go ahead and come in with Gonzalo. Como estas, mi hermano cubano? Good morning, Alberto. Good morning, Good morning sir. How are, you, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, um, about union. Um, I was part of a union when I was in HIC. Uh, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, I choose that because that was an option uh, when I was working as a teacher in Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not going to talk about Canada, but it worked. You know, when uh, I had an issue, they stepped in and they they represent me. Mm -hmm. Here, uh, I I didn't have an issue. I mean, I haven't had an issue so far. But if I have one, uh, I don't think they can do much. Because the first right a union uh, should have is the right to strike. And as far as I know, here in Texas, teachers do not have the right to strike. So what's the point of paying uh, a union that says that represents you and they don't even have the right to summon people to uh, strike? Okay, I, I think, I don't know, the. I'll be honest with you, I don't know the law on teachers, but I'll take your word that uh, that teachers can't strike um, in, in Texas. I don't, you know, so I'm just listening to you as a former teacher. Now, here's the deal, though. Uh, striking is not the only option that there is for representation. In other words, uh, representation, I mean, the, the fact that let's say there's a law that forbids you from striking, right? There are other methods unions can come in as a collective, meaning still representing a people that have value. So um, I, I get what you're saying. Strikes are not the only options that unions have to work for you. Uh, th there are many other areas, both legal and otherwise, that unions provide value. I mean, it's just like, let's give an example. The, the PATCO, which was under the Reagan administration, under that you could not strike. Well, PATCO went ahead and struck anyway, and Reagan fired them. Yes, that's what occurred. But again, they still stood together for a, for for something. So, I am uh, what I what I would tell you on this regards is, uh, we should have unions even here in Texas for teachers, and they should also be fighting with the power that they have to elect people who would overturn the laws that say they can't strike. So what I'm saying is even that even having a teachers union in Texas, if the union does what it's supposed to do right now, they should be fighting. I, I like I just said, I learned something from you, Gonzalo. Teachers can't strike. OK, good. With over 200,000 teachers or however many hundred thousands of teachers we have in Texas, that conglomerate of teachers can come together to elect politicians that would do away with the teacher can't strike law. Anyway, what else would you like to add, Gonzalo, before I go to art? Oh, I, I, I just want to say that I know that in the northern states they do, and actually you hear about the strikes right. often. Uh, California does. So I'm not saying that we are promoting strikes, but there is a point like the one that we have reached in HIC as far as the news uh, 
are concerned, and I'm not there anymore, but I think mm-hmm. they need to go on a strike because this guy has uh, has gone to the a point in which we need to say, hey, enough is enough. I agree with you, Gonzalo. I tell you better. I think right now uh, that a concern, if the, the parents really want to show concern about what's going on in the district, I think this is a time where everybody stays out of school. Uh, absolutely everybody until they get rid of this superintendent. Remember, the superintendent is governing the many as it is a country where the many creates its own government. So what I'm saying is if we don't like that superintendent, it's not it's not just upon the teachers to strike, but the students to strike. Everybody who wants to get rid of this superintendent, if, if it's really a mass movement, in other words, if we really don't want this superintendent who's turning libraries into prisons, if we don't want him, everybody should strike from teachers to students. And then if they try to go at the teachers, it's a next level again. I think that is how that is how movements are effective. But we have to get parents and teachers working in concert. Anything else that you want to add uh, before I go to art? Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Gonzalo. Tenga buen día, hermano. Let's go to Art. Come on in, Art. Art, you're on. If you're, you may be on mute, Art. Come on in. Ten. Yeah, you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Come on in, Art. All right, great. Uh, There is a Houston Federation of Teachers. There is a union for Mm -hmm. teachers. Uh, 2704 Sutherland. I know because uh, we've met with them a, f- a few times past few years. Uh, their website is uh, H is in Houston, F is in federal, T is in teacher, 2415.org uh, if you want more information. Um, I think the reason why a lot of us don't know about the teachers' uh, union is me, and I've always I've, I've expressed this to uh, some of them. <clears throat> some of the members, even some leadership, that they don't seem too strong when it comes down to when they have to pay for their own school supplies for other students. Uh, all the out-of-pocket expenses, they're not reimbursed. The low wage, the extra hours, the extra social uh, um, services they have to provide as a teacher, even though they're not trained for it. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but uh, the teacher union is, is big. This one includes uh, Houston and Spring Branch ISD. Uh, it's huge. It's very big. One Is of the it a part of AFT, the American Federation of Teachers? Uh, you got me on that. I don't okay. know. I'm not that involved. I mean, That's uh, fine. Um, but the, the information's there, you know, for, for anybody right. to research. Um, yeah, and teachers, yeah, they definitely, you know, have to, you know, be a lot stronger than what we think. Um, what we see, we don't, during the past, you know, with, but what's going on in Katy last month or different issues, whatever we're wherever they stand on it, you didn't hear about the union having a say. And like, why is that? You know, where's the strength? If they're if a union is as strong as it should be, you only as strong as you as you make yourself present in the right. classroom or right. in the picket line, whatever the case. Right. Um but that was it. I mean, I uh, just wanted to put that out there. I appreciate regard- your call, Art. Uh, very, very important information. Thank you so kindly for calling in, my friend. 
folks, the telephone number is 713-526-5738. Please don't wait till the end of the show to call in, 713-526-5738. Um, I want to play now uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, real quick, a six-minute piece here, five and change, because he talks about the uh, everybody's hearing about the shutdown. Let's make sure to know who to blame for the shutdown. It's very important. Uh, right now, I'm, uh, according to an ABC polls, they would blame the Democrats. Really? Let's check this out. Then we'll take it on the other side. Pete Buttigieg appeared on this week. And as usual, he's a great communicator. He knows how to express himself and tell the story as it should be told. And he did just that with the potential uh, Republican shutdown. He made it clear all the things that Republicans always complain about are the things that will be affected if they get this uh, shutdown going uh, sometime next week. Ironically, uh, what the host told him is that... uh, The American public, according to a poll ABC has conducted, says they would blame mostly Democrats more so than Republicans for the shutdown. And I find that very ironic. The only way that could be the case is a failure of the fourth estate, a failure of the media. Right now, it should be plastered in every American's brain that. Republicans and Democrats had a deal to prevent this, but that specifically Republicans have chosen not to abide by the parameters of the deal that they had. And in the process, they're trying to extract more and more. And it's not even most Republicans. It's likely five or six Republicans that are holding not only the Republican Party hostage, but the entire country hostage. And if America doesn't understand that that is exactly what is occurring, then yes, one can understand why it would why they would blame the Democrats or keep equal blame or whatever. But it is the job of the media to point that out. And no matter what I hear, I continue to hear this side said this. The other side said this. It is time for the media to come clean. The fault of any potential shutdown is Republicans breaking a deal and Republicans doing all that is wrong to really shake things up. That's what it's all about. It's about getting clicks. It's about saying how bad they are, meaning these five or six or seven or however many recalcitrant Republicans. Check how Buttigieg handled this um, with Martha Raddatz, and then we'll take it on the other side. You, you bring up the, the shutdown. Do you see that as inevitable at this point? I hope not, because in the event of a shutdown, we would have to immediately stop so many important activities in the Department of Transportation, like training air traffic controllers. After everything we've been through, after all of the disruptions to air traffic, uh, to, to air travel that we experienced last year, this year, we finally see cancellations and delays back to normal. They're actually a little below uh, where they were before COVID. This would be a reversal that nobody wants, nobody asked for. And I can't believe some of the very same congressional Republicans who get in line to try to beat us up anytime there's a there's a travel disruption, even a weather-related travel disruption, are going to turn around and shut down air traffic control training. And that's just one example from one department that I happen to be very concerned about. So and it better now, not be inevitable. Secretary, our poll found that more Americans 
would blame Democrats for a possible shutdown than Republicans. How do you explain that? I just don't think that's how it's going to actually play out in a Republican shutdown. Uh, you know, uh, this is because Republicans can't uh, on the Hill can't even agree among themselves. And remember, Kevin McCarthy and uh, Speaker McCarthy and, and President Biden made a deal, and, and that deal was tough for all sides. Frankly, it was tough uh, for our department. It meant cutting back on some uh, things we wanted to do, some funds we were going to use to improve roads and bridges and airports. But we accepted that because that was the deal that was made earlier this year. And now all we're doing is asking them to live up to that deal. If they can't be organized enough among themselves, if the House Republican conference is in such chaos that they can't even accept the deal that they supported earlier this year, or in the words of one House Republican, take yes for an answer, then I think Americans are gonna see very quickly how we got in that situation. And by the way, not only are they driving us toward a shutdown, but their position, the thing they're trying to use the threat of a shutdown to get is further cuts that would also undermine things that the American people overwhelmingly want us to do. In the case of transportation, things like railroad safety inspection. Buttigieg is very good at explaining things. And I imagine every single American that heard that likely wouldn't fall into the category that Martha Raddatz was talking about, that they are blaming the Democrats for these, this shutdown. But again, Martha Raddatz doesn't need to have a Pete Buttigieg defending the administration, but defending Democrats here. The media should be out there just telling the truth. Republicans are trying to hold the country hostage. The thing about it is if for some crazy reason uh, the Republicans and Democrats were to follow what those five terrorists want to do, the, the American people would revolt because, again, the things and the cuts that they want would put every, every person's lives in jeopardy. Again, there's only one party to be blamed if a shutdown is occur has occurred. And that party, we know who it is. Absolutely so. Absolutely so. Anyway, folks, uh, show me your budget. Show me your budget. And I can tell you what your values are. Don't talk to me about your values as a politician until I see the budget that you support. And in that light, uh, the proposed budget offers horrifying vision of what Republicans would do if they could. Rather than proposing policies that could reverse a deeply troubling trend of hardship for vulnerable and hardworking people, the budget proposal that they're attempting to pass would deepen poverty and increase suffering for tens of millions of people. That is in conjecture. That is what the fight is all about. That is what the shutdown is all about. Uh, from the Common Dreams by Sharon Perot, it's tempting to ignore a budget resolution released just days before the start of the fiscal year that is meant to guide and amid the chaotic debate around a short-term uh, extension of government funding to avoid a shutdown. But Houston Budget Committee Chair Jody Aronston proposed budget is important for what it illustrates about House Republicans' disturbing vision for the country. Healthcare stripped away from millions of people, higher poverty and hunger, capitulation to climate change, more tax cheating by high income people and large scale disinvestment from the building blocks of opportunity and economic growth, from medical research to education to childcare. It would narrow opportunity, worsen racial inequalities and make it harder 
for people to afford the basics. It reflects the wrong priorities for the country and should be roundly rejected. Chair Arrington made clear in his remarks the intent to extend the expiring tax cuts from 2017 tax law, which included large tax cuts for the wealthy. In addition, the budget resolution itself would pave the way for unlimited unpaid tax cuts for uh, for tax cuts that could go well beyond those extensions. The extensions alone would give annual tax breaks averaging, here is this, $41,000 to tax filers in the top 1% and cost more than $350 billion a year, a Congressional Budget Office estimates. The budget reflects none of these costs and fails to explain how or whether they will offset. And you know how they claim to pay for it, right? Of course, they claim by cutting taxes, more money is going to come into the coffers, the state coffers, something that has failed over and over again because it makes no mathematical sense. I'll go into that a little bit after. 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Please, please do not wait until the end of the show to call in where I have to then rush you off. 713-526-5738. I await your calls right now. 713-526-5738. Before I continue with the budget that, uh, the draconian budget that uh, that is the cause of the fight right now in Congress, I want to uh, announce something here for the Houston Peace and Justice Center. Every year we have the Houston Peace and Justice Center annual Peacemaker Award Ceremony. And this year it's going to be on Sunday afternoon, at November 12th. Uh, the Texas and who are we honoring? This year, HBJC is recognizing the wonderful work of several recipients. Our annual National Peacemaker Award is going to the Observer. I'm sure you guys can recall when I interviewed Two press, two, two, uh, uh, both the uh, editor of the Observer and otherwise, when they had to fight their board who attempted to shut them down. One of the only Texas publications that you get the unadulterated truth from, they go places where others won't go, and they are not scared to confront the politicians of the state. They are the Texas Observer. The Texas Observer is a progressive nonprofit news outlet and print magazine covering the Lone Star State. The Observer strives to make Texas a more equitable place through investigative reporting, narrative storytelling, and political and cultural coverage and commentary. They dig beyond the headlines and contextualize news events. Their essays, reviews, and criticisms seek to create a new cultural canon and challenge existing mythologies. Look, folks, we are honoring them at the Houston Peace and Justice Center on November 12th. And you can go ahead and get tickets and uh, uh, do whatever you need to do to make sure and be there on November 12th. Uh, go to hpjc.org, hpjc.org. They are proud supporters of uh of KPFT as well. Now we also have local awardees. That's a national or awardee. You know, every year we give a national award at the Peace HPJC Peacemakers Awards. We also give local to, to local people. And this year we're honoring Christian uh, uh, Slemmer, 
who is a lawyer who works every day to secure water justice in uh, Houston and the whole state of Texas. We also are honoring Jasselet Griffin from the from custody to casket as of organization she formed after her son was murdered in the Harris County Jail over a year ago. And we are honoring Lorena Perez McGill, who is an immigration attorney and has taught at American at American University, Washington College of Law. University of Houston Law Center and the Georgetown University Law Centers. And she's a founder of the Perez McGill Law Firm. So as you can see, folks, the Houston Peace and Justice Center, as we have activists in the community, good reporting in the community, we want to make sure and honor these folks. And every year we, we pick out a national award and also a uh, several local awards for people who have done quite a bit in the state of Texas. So please go to hpjc.org, hpjc.org, and, and check, check the organization out. Great organization, Houston Peace and Justice uh, Award, uh, I mean, Houston Peace and Justice Center, and the great ceremony that we have every single year to honor good people doing good work you know, we've honored, honored Molly. I, we have honored a whole lot of different uh, folks in this organization. I think you should check it out, hpjc.org. Anyway, 713-526-5738. Uh, Give us a call. We still have about six minutes to take calls. 713-526-5738. Don't wait until the last minute to call in because, again, I want to spend the time with you. Okay. Like I mentioned before, show me your budget and I will know your values. And continuing with what the Republican budget is doing, a shocking share of the spending cuts chairman Arrington specifies target people with low and moderate incomes, including $1.9 trillion in Medicaid cuts and hundreds of billions in cuts to economic security programs, such as cuts to assistance that help people afford food and other basic needs. Just last week, the Census Bureau released data showing that poverty spiked last year, more than doubling for children. Rather than proposing policies that could reverse their, this deep troubling trend, the budget proposal would deepen poverty and increase hardship. Look, parties have shifted. There used to be a time when uh, the 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 Democratic Party could bona fide be called the party of the working class. Look, it still is for the policies it supports. But also what has happened is the Republican Party has garnered a foothold into the working class by using all kinds of racialized statements, sphere tactics, etc. But their policies have not changed. Their policies still put the working class at harm, but it is, it is, it is, is a, there's a facade above it that gives the impression that somehow they're for you. And how they've proved, how they try to do that is to say, hey guys, your problems are not caused by our failure to support policies that support you. 
your failure is caused by those other people that look different from you and are trying to cross the border or are on those welfare lines or all those other people are causing your problems. But they forget to tell you that the same problem that they're having in the ghettos or the same problems they're having in Appalachia or the same problems they're having in the barrios, right? They all have the same solutions. And that is for the government, we the people, to ensure that some don't monopolize over the many, which is what we have. Policies that transfers our monies, your money, to the wealthy. The wealthy believes in socialism. The wealthy believe in collectivity from all the rest. But simply, whereas we believe in collectivity among all of us and us sharing, they believe we should take your darn money. If you doubt it, look at the prices you're paying at the grocery store. That isn't inflation caused because of Biden policies. That is inflation caused because the wealthy has the right to take your money. That is what it's all about. The question is, use your heads and start to see who's harming you. Start seeing the party that is really harming you and stop the fear. Come on in, Melissa. Great to have you here this morning. Melissa, you are live. Yep. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Houston. Morning, Monday. Good morning, so, my dear Melissa. So I feel like we should say, you know, good morning to the Uncle Ruckuses that they put in, that the corporation put in front. So that, you know, whenever we say, hey, you know, we should, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, you can't do that. You know, the white man not going to want you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so say, say bye to all the Uncle Wilkinsons, you know, time off for all of that, you know. <laughs> bye, Melissa, 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 I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that you made some fun of it because that is what we need to do. The truth of the matter is, we need to make sure and take control. We need to take control. It is about us. And no, Eric Hayes, if you, if you think that inflation is high because of biodynamics, number one, you, don't, uh, you, you, don't, you, you choose not to understand economics, all right? You choose not to understand economics, and you choose not to understand facts. Again, it's been long proven. Long proven from the, from the time we got to 9% inflation, Katie Porter went to all the experts to figure out what piece of inflation came from where. And all those that are listening to me, it is imperative that you understand this, my peeps. All. Uh, that 9%, right after the pandemic, why inflation went up was disruption in the supply chain. That just means... China wasn't shipping anymore. There was less product. So since there was less product, prices went up. Okay. But that only accounted for 4.5% of the 9% uh, uh, inflation. Now, folks, all of that has been solved. The inflation that continued is caused by corporations saying, I can screw you. I can take your money because there's nobody here telling me I cannot. And since you must have milk, and since you must have bread, and since you must have eggs, and since you must have lettuce, I will tell you 
what price I'm willing to give it to you at. I will tell you that. And the government, because they're paid by corporations, we can solve that. It's called a vote. But because that's the way it runs right now, they can sucker everything that you have in extra cash until you have no more. And that is how high they can price it. You have to understand the way the system is set up is we know how much money you have, including when the government had these rebates, etc. We know how much money is in your pocket and we're going to take it away. And how do we take it away? With something called inflation, with something called high interest rates. We can take it away in many forms. And we have to be the ones that forces our government to create laws to prevent these, as, as, as our brother uh, Jack Van Beber would say, to prevent these vampires from sucking our blood. Anyway, we are at 56, and it is time for me to put Brother Van Beber back on air so that we can get out of here. Brother Jack Van Beber, talk to me with your final word. Oh, well, uh, okay. Are I we caught gonna... you off guard. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to reread my piece this morning because I did such a poor job. Well, let's it. do it quickly, my brother. Okay. As the corporate influence takes over the minds and hearts of the politicians and run government as a business, they are cutting out all things below the bottom line, starting with young and education, the poor, the old. The oligarchs and plutocrats simply don't need or care for the people anymore. They only exist to feed on the people like a vampire in the night. The words of Jack Van Beber could not be better, especially after the last soliloquy I gave. Thank you so kindly, Jack, for all the work that you do in the control room. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.